Hello and welcome everyone to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg. We're here on your community radio station. This is Forward Radio, WFMP Louisville, broadcasting to you from high atop the historic Habern Building here in downtown Louisville at 106.5 FM, or you could be live streaming our station 24-7 at forwardradio.org, no matter where you are. And you can also find there our podcasts of all of our programs. If you enjoy what you're hearing and want to share it with someone later, and you can find the podcast version there. And then also, we rely entirely on your uh, listener support to keep this station going. So you might want to click the donate button while you're at forwardradio.org, help keep us on the air. And you might want to click participate and get your voices on these microphones. We'd love to have you. This is a radio station built for the people, by the people, and we'd love to have you be some of the people helping sustain this station and keep it going and make media that matters. So get with us at forwardradio.org. Well, my name is Justin Mugg, and what we do each week here on Sustainability Now is bring in folks from around the community, some of whom are brand new to me, but others like today are people I've known for quite a while and I've always wanted to get in the studio and uh, pick their brains for a little bit about what they're doing in sustainability. Uh, And I'm so excited to have Ryan Lloyd in the studio. He was a 2021 graduate of the Sustainability Master's Program at UofL, and he's been going on to do a lot of wonderful things I can't wait to hear about. He is currently a grant administrator and planner with KIPTA, which is our regional planning agency, Kentucky, Indiana Planning Development Association. A really long name. <laughs> really, <right>? really long <laughs> acronym. Yep. So how did you get uh, connected with KIPTA after you, you didn't do like urban planning at UofL, right? Uh, yes. No. Well, yeah, I guess, first of all, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, I, sure. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, and I, I did not do urban planning. Um, I did the, as you mentioned, the sustainability uh, degree, which is um, interdisciplinary, which, yeah, yeah, which is very interdisciplinary. Um, and I was able to kind of bleed over into a lot of planning. Um, so I, uh, some of my academic work included some urban planning, mostly urban planning. Um, so I guess, you know, I had some of that experience under my belt. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Kipta, um, it is, uh, sort of an interesting, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like when people think of planning, usually they think of like urban planning, like sure. in cities. Uh, like, but how am op- I going to plan this block? <laughs> it, exactly. Yeah. Um, and Kipta, you know, we kind of operate on a larger scale. Um, it's Kentuckiana. Uh, so there's two counties in Southern Indiana that are also served mostly by our transportation division. Um, I mostly work in the, uh, seven counties in the Kentucky side. It's really um, the greater Louisville area and surrounding counties, right? Yep, yeah. yeah. I mean, we work with folks all the way up in uh, Trimble County, out in Henry County, um, local government officials and uh, communities there. So, yeah, we really cast a pretty wide net. Um, and it's and, not just transportation, right? And it's not just transportation, yeah. So I, I work in uh, the Community and Economic Development Division. Um, we have a transportation division. Uh, we have a dedicated GIS staff oh. um, that kind of serves the needs of all the divisions in terms of uh, providing data and geospatial yeah. analysis. And then uh, we also have a really large social services division, which is most uh, folks at KIPTA. That's, I think, our largest division. Um, wow. I don't know exactly how many people work in that. but. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of health and family services and also elder care and that kind of thing. So, But then I think about like, okay, Jefferson County, we have our own agencies doing that work. 
is it maybe more to support those outer counties that don't have as much infrastructure it, for it, that? It definitely is. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of the a lot of times I'll find that when I get started doing a new project um, or when we're kind of like looking to um, implement grant funding, if there's a new federal program or new state program with funding coming down, um, we usually try and like push that out to our communities and say, hey, if this is something that you're interested in, like come talk to us. We can provide like that technical assistance. Jefferson County, uh, we do do we do have um, some projects in Jefferson County, but Jefferson is by and large pretty self-sufficient right, um, just because right. there's more resources. And like you said, there's a lot of people already working in the city who mm. are doing those sorts of similar things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, a lot of what we do is kind of um, to sort of pick up the slack at yeah. the regional scale um, and maybe help some of those smaller cities or communities that uh, don't have access to those same resources. Um I don't want to put you on the spot. Maybe you don't know the answer to this, but I know that a lot of cities, large metro areas like ours, have these regional planning organizations, right? KIPT is just one of many. But then I start thinking about other parts of our state, like does Lexington and Northern Kentucky, do they have one? Uh, yeah, they do. So oh. all every county in Kentucky is part of an, we're called an area development district. Okay. Um, so I think there's... Uh, I should know this, but I think yeah, 14, see, I 14 or 15. <laughs> be a stretch. Yeah, yeah there's okay. 14 or 15 area development districts across the state. Wow. Uh, most huh. of them encompass, you know, anywhere from five to seven counties. Uh, but every county in the state of Kentucky is part of an area development district. Okay. Yeah. And then some of the planning that goes on at a place like Kipta is going to be some of this longer, long, larger scale and longer term kind of planning, right? You want to give us a feel for what that kind of planning that goes on there? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so we we work on, I guess, several different long term plans. Um, there's the SEDS plan, which is sort of focused on economic development. Uh, there's the hazard mitigation plan, which I've been doing a lot of work with recently, mm, yeah. um, which those are updated on a five-year cycle. Um, and it's, it is kind of tricky to uh, update those because they are pretty all-encompassing. Um, so it's kind of about finding like a weird sweet spot oh, really? for like finding goals that are applicable at the regional level and general enough to where like if we do put out a plan... Um, those can be goals that are achievable for all of the communities yeah. that we work with. Yeah. Um, so it, it gets a little bit tricky because uh, you're not working at, at as fine of a scale as mm. if you were just saying like, all right, what's achievable for Louisville or what is uh, something that we, that Louisville needs to mm-hmm. work on. Um, mm-hmm. But it really sort of kind of have to widen your lens and say, well, what's uh, something that's affecting Louisville and Bedford, Yeah. Uh, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. Or Louisville and Shelbyville or, you know, so it's, yeah, you kind of have to take uh, a wider lens for working on those plans and it can be kind of tricky. Okay. Um, yeah. But well, I want to dive into some of these tasks you've been working on, uh, but you know, it took us a while to kind of set up this interview in part because you said you've been so busy with all of this disaster planning and relief efforts that have been <laughs> underway. And so I started thinking about, oh my God, yeah, he's dealing with like flooding in Eastern Kentucky, but maybe not. Like, tell me what some of these disaster <laughs> and relief efforts you've been working on are. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's, it's been a tough year for Kentucky yeah, as it really a whole has. for, you know, as far as uh, disaster disaster things go i mean we had the (laughs) tornadoes and the recent flooding in eastern kentucky um and yeah you know while like you said like while those aren't things that 
necessarily I have to deal with like direct relief efforts, although we do, um, you know, a lot of our systems directors that we work with and our water and wastewater uh, systems have gone out there to provide direct relief. Oh, um, nice. It's more, I guess, from the planning side, it's more about sort of uh, trying to look at an event like that, um, at some sort of us unprecedented event and say, what, what does that portend for us? Yes, yes. <laughs> you like what, you know, how, if there is any way, could we potentially put something in our hazard mitigation plan that would, um, you know, help help mitigate the effects of an event like that? Um, you know, how can we be more ready for something like that? Um, so are you all looking at like gl- climate change models and how those are pointing, you know, suggesting that we, things might change here in Kentucky? Definitely, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you... You have to stay up to date with, um, you know, changing precipitation trends, um, which in our region, uh, those are all pointing to increased precipitation. Um, So trying to plan around that, um, you know, increasing the amount of uh, abatement of water that uh, a system could handle or system or area could handle, um, you know, things that uh, like reducing impervious surfaces or... Uh, recently, the the Kentucky Division of Water has um, asked us to try and incorporate some more uh, measures for green infrastructure nice. in our hazard nice. mitigation plan, which, you know, at first it, you might say, like, how does green infrastructure overlap with hazard mitigation? But um, a lot of those, uh, a lot of recent research, you know, has shown that uh, green infrastructure ha- has this sort of... Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It it overlaps uh, into a lot of different areas. Uh, you know, economic. Um, it can also provide uh, really good stormwater abatement, uh, watershed management, uh, preserving green areas yeah. can help water necessary watersheds be conserved and not developed, so that uh, those areas can be uh, maintained as good areas for floodwaters to pool or collect in, uh, or to just sort of slow the flow of water in like these really high rainfall events. Right. Right. Um, so yeah. And when you do incorporate, um, those sorts of things into these long-term plans, um, you know, it's a lot of people have, um, I, you know, there's some mixed feelings with long-term plans because <laughs> you're setting these really lofty goals yeah. and saying, all right, here are these really general things. Like it would be good if these yeah, happened. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, kind of point to those plans and say, well, like, you know, these are all really lofty goals that um, are, you know, we could never really achieve all of this. Mm. Um, mm. But a lot of what uh, updating those plans does is open up your region to more grant opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, right, if, right. If, if you don't have those things written in your plan, yeah. then you can't access that EPA no, money. really, we to... did want to do green infrastructure <laughs> EPA. Please give us some money now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. see how that works. Yeah. So. Uh, well, our listeners may not be familiar with this term green infrastructure, and certainly it means a lot of different things and can look a lot of different ways. So when you all at KIPTA are talking about green infrastructure, please share some concrete examples of the kinds of things you're, you're, you're planning for. Yeah, sure. So it, it really kind of depends on what sort of area you're, you're looking at. Um, Green infrastructure in our more rural areas can mean something as simple as conservation. Um, right. Not, yeah. not plowing right up to the waterway. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, something like conservation or um, setting up uh, a nature reserve mm. or sort of uh, institutionalizing some sort of measure to um, make sure that a critical area that 
might be necessary for um, flood mitigation, for yeah. example, does not get developed. Yeah. Um, because, and and some when you say rural areas, some of those are right here in Jefferson County, right? Yep. Yeah. Because yeah, and I mean even you know because Louisville has you know the urban core, and mm-hmm. then technically the entirety of Louisville Metro is the whole county of and, Jefferson, and people seem so. really eager to develop every square inch of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we've seen what kind of damage that can do right yeah yeah definitely um yeah i mean there's uh all kinds of um increased risks uh for hazards that uh developing those sorts of areas can present right. um you know not least of which is uh loss of potential uh species or biodiversity but also like i mentioned um increased risk of flooding um and then also uh, you know decreased uh potential recreational areas sure. for people too yeah. you know um i mean the more that we continue developing outward um you know there's an overlap with conservation of recreational areas and looking at something like hazard mitigation as well yeah. um Okay, so that's what the green infrastructure looks like in a rural area. Okay, and then yeah, here, yeah. here in downtown Louisville, what might it look like? In more urban areas, it looks a little bit different because there's not those opportunities to conserve those areas just because the landscape is already pretty much developed. So in urban areas, it's more of sort of establishing like a patchwork of things like rain gardens yeah. or expansion of impervious surfaces. Mm-hmm. Those are sort of like, I guess, like the hard the hardscaped infrastructure Mm -hmm. things um you know the things like flood walls and those sorts of things are not really lumped into the category of green infrastructure because while they do provide direct hazard mitigation yeah um you know the, the green green infrastructure is sort of like a newer thing that is developing um and the epa just recently put out some guidance on green infrastructure and wanted to expand um, funding federally for green infrastructure. So um, I think the definition of it is sort of still developing. Um, But yeah, things like that. Um, The way I always think of it is is trying to replicate as best we can in an urban setting the natural ecosystem functions through through green infrastructure of different kinds but so often it is actually green like it involves vegetation whether it's a vegetated roof or a bioswale along a roadway that captures the runoff from the roadway or the parking lot or something like that uh or tr- tree planting can be green infrastructure right because trees also yep. help yeah definitely absorb and, and reduce that runoff so all those things are awesome and I'm, I'm glad to hear that the connection is being made in terms of like this is actually helping save lives down the road and helping save species. So this is hazard mitigation. Um, but then I know another thing I want to ask you about, and I know it was related to your uh, master's work, is renewable energy. And before I ask, I'm going to reintroduce you. I'm speaking today <laughs> with Ryan Lloyd. He is a 2021 graduate of the Master's in Sustainability program at UofL, and now he's moved on to be a grants administrator and planner with KIPTA. We're talking about KIPTA's uh, regional planning efforts. So what is going on with renewable energy? energy at Kipta? Um, yeah, not, not enough. Ah! I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately we, we don't, I, I am not working on, uh, at least directly with any, uh, energy efforts, uh, for renewable energy right now. Is there um, energy planning going on? Uh, we have historically worked on, um, some energy planning, okay. um, and, you know, we we're, we're kind of this catch-all f- resource uh-huh. for local officials. I um, see. Yeah. So, you know, for example, if there is a judge executive in uh, Taylorsville that says, "Hey, I've been hearing a lot about solar. 
what's what's going yeah, on with that? Yeah, like, right? you know, can you guys keep an eye on that? Like, what you know? What, can you tell me anything about it? Um, so yeah, I know historically um, we've worked on a few things here and there, uh, kind of few and far between. Um, it is something that I would definitely like to expand on and yeah. do some more work on, um, just because it's something that I know a lot about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's. Yeah, we're we're kind of this quasi-governmental organization. Um, so a lot of the work that we do, we're kind of at the mercy of what local officials, what kind of projects they want to sure, take on. Sure. Um, so I'm sure down the road, um, it'll start to become a bigger thing just okay. because it's expanding so much in yeah. Kentucky. Um, yeah. But yeah, right now, uh, I, I have not really gotten my, my feet wet in any renewable energy planning or grant writing. Okay, but. well, I, I'll hold that question then because I do want to ask about your master's work. What about other land use topics that you've been working on in KIPTA? Um, I mean, I, I know the Louisville is going through its own land development code reform process, and I always wonder how those sorts of things, like zoning in Louisville, how does that tie to like what KIPTA is doing in terms of region-wide land use planning mm, yeah um yeah I, I have not done a ton with um zoning regulations um that's something that it seems like most of the counties that we work with sort of have that on lock um, okay you know the the counties are sort of able to have some leeway in how they huh. zone um their own areas okay um but i know uh, a f- current colleague of mine um his name is justin carter he uh, did some work in Trimble County on helping them implement some new zoning regulations. Oh, nice. Um, so that that's kind of, uh, you know, something that we would maybe assist a county who maybe doesn't have their regulations yeah. uh, quite up to where they want them to be, or they're just not really sure, like, yeah. you know, how to go about implementing that, or yeah. uh, maybe they don't even know um all the ways that um having some zoning could benefit them and mm-hmm. uh their communities mm-hmm. um so you know that would be an example of something that we might help um a local uh a local uh, city or county entity with um other things uh, a lot of what i've been doing lately is with um the cleaner water act uh, or the cleaner water program uh it's a statewide program that's implemented by the kentucky infrastructure authority um and they have set aside uh, a pretty large pot of money uh statewide that came down from the bipartisan infrastructure law nice um and basically they have set that money aside to improve uh water and wastewater systems across the state yeah um so yeah right now i think we're working on maybe like I want to say like 20 or 25 of those wow and those are just ones that we're helping just in administer. i think total there's something like 40 something um uh, i imagine a lot of the residents in kipta's geographic area aren't even on city water and aren't even on city sewer right correct yeah yeah so a lot of the um cleaner water grant program projects that I have worked on are things like water and sewer extensions okay. uh, to unserved areas. Yeah. Um, so those areas are being pretty highly prioritized um, by this funding. Wow. Uh, but well, also- and that impacts land use, right? Like as soon as we extend the utilities to an area, we're basically saying, yes, please develop this area. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. And, that, you know, there, there is a, a lot of it has been residential extensions. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like you said, um, if there is any time that they can do an extension uh, that maybe brings water to 
uh, a large unserved lot that could potentially be, um, you know, a, a big area of economic development for their county. A lot of local officials will look at that and say, like, well, if there's a way that we can get this out yeah. here, you know, let's do that. Yeah, um, I can see why. Yeah, so, you know, like I kind of going back to the balancing act, um, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of have to work with your local officials and prioritize certain areas and projects and uh, there has to be sort of back and forth. And mm. with those projects, their water ma- every county has a water management council. Um, so before any funds get allotted to specific projects, uh, that council comes together. It's usually uh, some counties have multiple systems for water and wastewater. Um, Jefferson County, you know, it's just one. So that water management council is pretty much just, hey, Louisville Water, what do you want to <laughs> yeah, do? Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, if you have multiple systems... Um, you know, they might have different priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, they mm-hmm. might have different ideas of how they want to split up the money, things that they say, hey, we really need to, I, I really need some of that money to rehab uh, this pump station because it's falling apart. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just kind of getting everybody get together and coming to the table and saying, what is the best use for this money? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, before we leave Kipta and talk about other things that you've done in your past that I know about, I've been wanting to ask you about, is there anything else you want to share in terms of like uh, something coming down the pike in Kipta or any projects you you stumbled across in your time there that you think would be really interesting to share with our listeners? Um, hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> it's like I hate I, to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, I'm I'm so new there too. You know, oh, yeah. I, I haven't even been there for a year yet. Okay, so, okay. Um, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways I'm still getting up to speed, but um, yeah, you know, I I would look out for um potentially some. Uh, green infrastructure things okay. coming down the way. Yeah, um, you said there was funding in the in the works for that. Yeah, know? yeah, you know, and uh, our hazard mitigation plan is due for a, a full update um, in two years, uh, which seems like a long time. Um, yeah, as it you know, if I guess if you're not in that world, but <laughs> two years in like local government or state government <laughs> is really it's, it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. So, well, is there community involvement in any of that process? Um, in the process of planning. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, the, we deal a lot with, uh, local city and county officials. Um, so theoretically when they come to us with a project, it's because, um, it's something that their constituents are interested in. Yeah. Um, as far as direct, um, community engagement though, uh, we do a lot of that in, uh, like CDBG grants, um, which actually require um, community development block, block grants, grants. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> which those actually require uh, community right. engagement and require right. surveys and require public meetings uh, for things. Um, sure. Because there, there's a lot that goes into those. They're a ton of work. Um, but th- that's a lot of the community engagement that we do is kind of on the grant side. Okay. Um, you know, for things like community development block grants. Um, yeah. yeah, not not a lot of state grants um, require that level of community <laughs> engagement. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, you know, and there there are things like going to fiscal court meetings. Yeah. Um, and you know that that sort of thing, which, like I said, that's a lot of local officials and um, you know county clerks and sure. that's, that sort of thing. But. Um, you know, so I guess most of our community engagement sort of comes through interacting with 
those officials. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but then we do get some of the more direct community engagement on the the grant side of things, yeah. uh, if that's applicable. So, all right. Well, it's always good to get a little window into what's going on at Kipta. Uh, I've been meaning to have other folks from Kipta on the show too. So, thank you for providing that window. Yeah. But I want to look back a little bit, if we could. I hope it's not all a fog of memory at this point. But in your recent <laughs> years, I know you've been doing some really cool things. I wanted to ask you about. So, first of all, we've already teased about it. What was your master's research in renewable energy about? Yeah. So I uh, did my thesis on. Uh, assessing community perceptions of solar renewable energy in the state of Kentucky. Oh, wow. Yeah. Statewide. Uh, statewide. Wow. Yeah, or as, as good as I could get. <laughs> and this was before solar over Louisville, which really has raised the profile of, of <laughs> solar in, anyway. It's, yeah, it's, it is uh, sort of blowing up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How did you do that research? What kind of data were you gathering? Um, so, yeah, a lot of it was, you know, on the front end, um, sort of seeing what other kind of research was out there yeah. on it. Um, and uh, renewable energy can be... Uh, kind of a contentious issue um just in in term, our coal state right <laughs> in, in, <laughs> here and you know elsewhere as well even yeah. um, other places that you you might think of as uh more amenable to the idea of climate change or renewable energy um there's a whole variety of factors that it can face pushback on and um some f- for better reasons than others uh but Really, uh, those there has been um, studies on that done in other places, oh, really? uh, other places in the U.S., other places in the world, uh, specifically on community perceptions of solar energy. Um, and when you say perceptions, do you mean like what people think about it politically or like what do they think it's going to work or like is it economically feasible? Yeah. So All those I, kinds of things? Yeah, I, I sort of try and... <laughs> Trying to get a little bit of all of that, okay. I think. Um, yeah, just because uh, there was some research that went into um, some things that, uh, you know, as far as whether it's political or whether it's uh, more space, place-based, um, right. what kind of affects people's perceptions either positively or negatively the most um, as far as uh, renewable energy development, solar energy development. Um, so kind of looking at some of those things and then trying to develop a survey that would sort of hit on some of those Mm -hmm. important factors, um, and then trying to put that survey out statewide, um, and gather as much. imagine that's a challenge. Uh, yeah, which was a big, (laughs) that was probably the most challenging part. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really hard to get people to fill out surveys. Sure. Um, and it's really hard to try and collect data on that big of a, uh, scale, um, so yeah, there was a lot of thought that went into not only designing the survey, but also, uh, figuring out the best way to disseminate it, the most efficient way to disseminate mm-hmm. it. And, uh, you know, you're also talking about working on a limited budget too. Yeah. So <laughs> there's sort of a hard cap to, depending on which way you want to go. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I have this much money, I can yeah. send out this many surveys. Um, is this the best way to do it with this other way that I maybe can send out less, but maybe I'll get more, right, right. the best thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So trying to, you know, <laughs> I, I had never actually done, developed a survey before. Most of my previous background involves more of, uh, ecological surveying, mm-hmm. um, different kind of survey, right? D- different <laughs> kind of survey. Yeah. It's more observational. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, trying to sort of develop something where you're, 
actively getting that data yeah. uh, from people uh, presents its own set of challenges. Um, I'm sure. I, and I honor you for trying to do that work at a statewide level. That is a level of ambition that is honorable. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I know it was tough to get good data, but what were some of the findings that you found as a result of this? Yeah. Um, gosh, I, I need to brush I, up, I to, man. I need to bust the thesis out here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, there was a lot of interesting, uh, correlations between, um, as you might imagine, uh, political, uh, wow. political affiliation and the way okay. that people answered uh, a lot of the questions. So yeah. I think that probably the most interesting, um, data analysis that I, this is maybe going to get a little bit too technical, but, um, if you do a, uh, PCA analysis, principal component analysis, That'll sort of give you a graph that says mm. how closely related are all of these different variables. Because right. uh, when you develop a survey, you've, I think I had 24 or 25 questions on there. Um, and when you look at that many different answers, it can kind of be tough to yeah. pick out uh, what sort of patterns are going on. Right, right. Um, so doing a PCA sort of allows you to get a snapshot of everything and say... Um, you know, it, it's uh, these two things are these two questions people are answering really similarly, mm -hmm. and they also have all this other thing in common. Right. Um, so and political affiliation was one of the stronger po political affiliation was a, a pretty strong predictor wow. of um, how people were going to answer the questions on wow. this survey. Um, so crazy to me. I don't, <laughs> why is it so political? Like, it's just energy. I mean, why do you care so much about where your energy comes from as long as it's affordable? And like so much about renewable energy seems to speak to me to the things that I hear conservatives saying they want, which is like independence, right? Like, why wouldn't you want your own energy on your roof or, uh, you know, just the whole idea of conserving, right? Being conservative means you, <laughs> you don't squander and you don't destroy the planet, but yeah, it's a whole other conversation, but it's, yeah, it's, it's shocking to me that it's so political. It, it op Yeah. It opens a can of where I can't say that I was maybe, um, based on some of the prior research that I had done, um, I, I wasn't super surprised that that yeah. was kind of a strong yeah. predictor, yeah. Um, even in other areas of the world that uh, seems to be a strong predictor of yeah. perceptions of renewable energy hmm. um, in other countries. Hmm. Um, but also um, to, I guess, sort of uh, provide maybe a little bit of a converse to that, um, there were some other interesting trends uh, sort of at the larger level of the entire data set, yeah. such as... Um, most people across the entire data set, regardless of political affili affiliation, felt that um, increasing the capacity for renewable energy and solar energy, both statewide and federally, was a positive thing. Oh, good. Um, so I think there is sort of, um, it, it, it seems like overall, um, everybody is sort of on the same page as far as like, you know, maybe everybody agrees that hey, like this is something that we need a little bit more of. Like we need to create uh, a system that has more renewable energy, mm. a more resilient system, maybe a little bit more of a decentralized mm. system. Um, but there are some sort of nuances within that um, yeah. that people are saying, well, this is the best way to do it. No, this is the best way to yeah. expand it. Yeah. Like, you know, this is, and that's where it starts to get really interesting is when you sort of look at, um, some of the nuances of people's, you know, you ask somebody, hey, is renewable energy 
good or a bad idea. If somebody says no, it's like, well, okay, like, you know, that's, yeah, I'm interested in like, you know, why you might think that. But yeah. then when somebody says yes, but then they disagree on other <laughs> questions down the line, that's where I start to get kind of excited and yeah. say, well, okay, like, uh, what do you think is good about doing it this way versus what you think? Um, you know, and that that's where a lot of the, uh, I think the importance of that kind of research comes in because it can inform, um, you know, clearly this is something that's, that's starting to take off in our state. Um, there's definitely a bad way to do it. Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> Good and bad ways. Yeah. yeah uh, but, you know, I think some of, uh, you know, it, it, the more you can know about what uh, individual people at the community level think about it, um, I think that can better inform people that are making decisions about actually implementing it um you know the the more we know about that i I think the better it could potentially be going forward so yeah really important work my guest today here on sustainability now is ryan lloyd uh 2021 graduate of the master's in sustainability program at the university of louisville who's gone on to be a grants administrator and planner with kipta our regional planning agency um before we leave uh, your your master's experience, uh, I know that you you had to do some internships as part of that, and you spent some time interning not only with Kipta but also with uh, KCC, the Kentucky Conservation Committee, right? Yes. Tell yeah. tell me about that. They do really cool work. Yeah, they yeah they certainly do. Um, yeah, Lane. Shout out to yeah, Lane, Lane Boltman yeah. and Randy Strobo over there at KCC yeah. holding it down. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they Kentucky Conservation Committee is really um, they they were pretty essential um, in the research that I did uh, in a lot of ways. Not only for just uh, sort of giving me some insight and experience into uh, working with legislation because I really had no idea how right. any of that worked. Right. Um, you but, have to see some of the sausage being made, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Doing, uh, yeah, legislative tracking. Really? This is how it works? <laughs> yeah, in, in, incredibly exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, it can be. It well, certainly it can, can be. be. Yeah, sure. um, a, a lot of it, unfortunately, is uh, is uh, a little dry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, uh, that, that gave me a lot of really important insight into uh, the role of legislation, uh, the role that that can play yeah. in... Uh, some of the environmental issues going on in our state. And also Lane was uh, a really good resource for a lot of uh, information on solar development in Kentucky. Um, Cause right. at the time that I was doing my internship, there was several bills, um, you know, being presented that had to do with solar. A lot of them were uh, specific to merchant solar in the state, uh, which is, you know, third party, uh, companies selling up power utility to the scale like u- utility scale solar yeah correct was yeah. net metering on the agenda when when you were that's been a big it, it's issue. been a, i know that's been ongoing yeah. um i i did i, I think i learned about learned some about of that yeah, yeah. um just sort of <laughs> but that i think that was a lot of that net metering stuff um happened just a little bit before my time there okay. i think yeah um, so i didn't work too much with that yeah. um but yeah, I was sort of aware of some of the history uh, that had gone on as f- with net metering and yeah. solar. Um, but yeah, not something that I got to work uh, directly with a lot. Um, 
Well, if people want to learn more about KCC, I believe it's kyconservation.org, a fantastic resource, especially during the legislative season. If you want to be an advocate for sustainability in our state, uh, they do great work just informing the public about even what bills are coming up. Yep. Um, yeah, it can it, be really confusing. It can be very hard for yeah, the citizens they, to know. <laughs> they, do a, they do a really good job, um, you know, kind of digesting a lot of that yeah. and presenting it to people like me uh, yeah. to be like oh all right this makes sense now yeah. a little bit more <laughs> yeah then another thing i want to ask you about I mean, meaning to ask you about that you did with uofl was this covid in surface water study uh was that through the enviro institute that was through the environment institute and yeah. this co-immunity project i i've heard so much about so yeah. tell us about that we think about studying covid in people but You've studied it in surface water. Uh, yeah, yeah, wastewater. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that um, was something that I got connected to through uh, my advisor, Tamara, uh, over there. And uh, she does a lot of work with water. And uh, Yes, she does. Tamara Sluss. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, she's the the, uh, the local water expert in the around these parts. Um, but, yeah, so I, I got connected to that through um, her and that was a, a really interesting project because, uh, you know, it was really at the height of everything. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, incredibly relevant. Uh, yeah. You know, I feel like a, a lot of the research that I've gotten to do historically is sort of these long range, like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, 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 we'll study this and then we'll have this data and then maybe one day we'll get to use that for something. And this was kind of like, oh, yeah, we're we're doing this, and this is Was it in 2020 right you were doing that? Or? Uh, that was in 2020. Yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, but yeah, that entailed um, basically working with a team uh, at the Environment Institute um, to sample, uh, and working in conjunction with MSD as well. We were partnered with them, yeah. the Metro Sewer Department. Uh, and basically, we... Uh, would go around to different areas of the city, uh, different, I think all of our sampling sites were sort of dotted all around Jefferson County, mostly sort of closer to the urban core of Louisville. Um, and we would basically take uh, little wastewater samples from the sewer system wow. and bring them back to the lab at the Environment Institute, and they would then test those for uh, concentration of... Uh, DNA fragments of COVID. Okay. Yeah. So they were basically the sort of entire purpose of that project was, I don't, I'm actually not sure if it's still going on. It I might be. I think it is. Um, yeah, that's a good question. But yeah, it, it, the whole purpose was to sort of ascertain, have another thing in conjunction with, um, you know, nasal swab testing. Voluntary testing, right? Like, yeah, 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 something that they could look at and uh, say, uh, oh, this concentration from this site is really high. There is a higher likelihood that there is more people in yeah. this area uh, because they're able to see which of those manholes that we're testing from um, where those pipes are sort of the watershed for each of these pl sampling points. Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. And wow. then they're, they're kind of able to get an idea of, uh, you know, this might be a hot spot for um, an area that might have a higher concentration of positive case counts. Um, it's not, uh, from my understanding, a perfect uh, system, but especially in conjunction with voluntary testing, it can be pretty valuable. Yeah. Um, if you're getting uh, a lot of positive 
case counts from voluntary testing. And you also have really high concentrations of COVID DNA in wastewater there. Then you can say, okay, like testing's, you know, it's working out here. Um, If you're getting the inverse of that, maybe you need to say, we might need to expand testing here a Hmm. little bit more. Um, You know, this is something that uh, we might need to keep an eye on because... Um, you know, it's hitting really high in the wastewater tests, but maybe not as much for nasal swabs. Yeah. Um, well, and connecting back to our earlier conversation about green infrastructure, you know, our, we have a combined sewer system in Louisville. So the, we try and put the stormwater in the same pipes as our sewage. Did that affect your ability to sample for COVID? Like, did you have to avoid rainy times? We, we did have to keep an eye on high rainfall events. Um, yeah, if, if there was a period of high rainfall... Um, there was a greater chance that a sample could be diluted. Yeah. Um, if there was, if you were getting run off into the, from that CSO. Yeah. Um, huh. so yeah, it's, it's a little bit weather dependent. Yeah. Um, huh. yeah. If you're, if you're getting a really, uh, period of high rainfall, then, you know, you probably have to take your results with a little bit more of a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Wow, you've done so many cool things. And there's two more I want to ask you about. We only have five <laughs> minutes left, so it's going to be a little lightning round. Um, <laughs> right. The way I first got to know you, well, maybe not. But anyway, I got to work closely with you uh, as uh, our bike mechanic on campus, and you helped run our U L bike share program. You want to describe that program and how it works for people uh, and maybe just some reflections on that time? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, sh- shameless plug for the old bike share here. Yeah. A project near and dear to your heart. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that that program is really fantastic. Um, it's, uh, I guess for anybody that might not know, uh, it's a program at UofL for students and faculty and staff uh, to basically uh, rent a bike for free uh, long term uh, or it can be short term, kind of. As long as you used like, to be short term, we used to do a lot of day rentals from like every dorm and stuff like that. But now it's concentrated more into a long term checkout. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really great program, um, and we provide other resources as well. Um, if you want to come get a tune up for your a bike that you already have, or if your bike breaks, uh, if you get a flat, you can come in there and get it fixed. Yeah. Um, if you just want me to fix it, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> if you want to learn how to fix it, that's yeah. even better. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I really liked when people would come in with a flat and say, right. uh, you know, I, I might change it for them. And they would say, well, that didn't seem that hard. And I said, no, it's <laughs> yeah. really not. And you too can know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just kind of being a catch-all resource uh, for bikes and uh, trying to provide that as a service for students and faculty and staff yeah. at UofL. And, and these are not fancy bikes. We no. are recycling. Yes, uh, they, they are. Uh, they are upcycled. Upcycled. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we bling them out. Yeah. We... <laughs> um, yeah. That that would be a good name for the, the bike program. The, the re- recycle. Bike yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah. do recycle. So these are like abandoned or impounded bikes on campus that nobody claims, which happens surprisingly often. It, it used to happen more often when we had more bikes on campus, but we've certainly seen the numbers go down with scooters taking over for sure. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. The ubiquity of the, the Lime scooter. <laughs> okay, last thing I want to ask you about, because I bike by it every way, every day on my way 
to work now is Louisville Vegan Jerky. Yes. You worked there for a while, and it yep. always smells so good. And I'm sure people <laughs> are becoming more familiar with it because it's in their grocery stores and things like that. Tell us about Louisville Vegan Jerky. Oh, yeah, gosh. Um, <laughs> Well, that, yeah, that was prior to me going back to, um, sh- shout out to Louisville Vegan Jerky. Yeah. Uh, that was prior to me going back to school. Yeah. Um, I worked there for a little over three years. Oh, really? Wow. I uh, managed the kitchen for wow. uh, almost two. Um, and yeah, they used to be located out in uh, good old Watterson Industrial Park. Oh, really? Um, and then they recently moved to Shelby Park. Shelby Park, oh, that's right. Yep, yep, scaled up a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, a really, really good place to work, um, honestly, from my experience. Um, and Did it start as a little, like, just mom and pop kind of operation? Well, it started, so uh, a fella by the name of Stanley Chase, um, who I, I don't know too much of his history in town. I know, I think he used to work in kind of the culinary scene. I oh, think he really? used to have a food truck and yeah. um, was kind of more involved as a, a, a chef uh-huh. um, in and around town and in that way. Um, he started it a number of years ago. Um, and yeah, just in the few, I, I came in uh, a few years after he had already started it. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of just got in at the right time and they were slowly expanding and, you know, eventually, uh, it was like, oh yeah, now we're selling in every whole foods in this region. Right. And now we're selling in every whole foods across the country. And wow. we were all kind of just sitting there going, wow, really? all right. <laughs> people are really buying this. What's oh, the secret see. sauce, Ryan? <laughs> How do they do it? Which, yeah. Which, which flavor do you want the recipe for, man? <laughs> Oh man, the smoky barbecue is my favorite. That's yeah, pretty good. Yeah. That one was always the worst to make too. Oh, I bet. It's so saucy. Yeah, yeah saucy. <laughs> so much mustard. Interesting. Yeah. I've seen I've seen gallons and gallons of mustard flow in and out of that place. I knew I needed to ask you about this. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Look for Louisville Vegan Jerky. Uh, I, I I think it's delicious uh, and fun, fun way to head down the road of a plant-based diet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's, little, it's actually good. Yeah. yeah good know. snack yeah. item. I've had some other vegan jerkies that don't, don't match up. So they, they're, and I say this not as a, a <laughs> former a, employee, a that... dedicated, loyal, former employee, <laughs> but it's actually the best vegan jerky that I have tried wow. of all of the selection. Oh wow! Yeah, all right. I haven't found a better one. Nice. The, the Gardein one is pretty good. They just started. Oh, a, yeah. a new one. Yeah, okay. that one. That one's not bad. But I haven't tried that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, great. This has been so much fun. You're you've done so many cool things. It's really great to catch up with you, Ryan. <laughs> it's it's uh, good to see you. Too. This was a long time in the making. I know yeah. it really was. <laughs> <laughs> My guest has been Ryan Lloyd. He graduated from U of L's Master's in Sustainability program back in 2000, uh, 2021, and uh, he is now working at Kipta, our regional planning agency. So. Maybe when you get some more time under your belt at Kipta or go on to other adventures, we'll we'll have an excuse to have you back on the show sometime. I'd be happy to. Yeah, thanks for having me, Justin. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, I got your community action calendar. Yes, there are things you can do this week to get engaged in sustainability. So stay tuned, my friends. Flow like a river to the sea, knowing it's all in you and me.
here on Sustainability Now with the sweet, sweet sounds of Apple Latin behind me now. Many thanks to them for giving us permission to use their great local music in the podcast versions of our programs, which you can always find archived at forwardradio.org, and you can learn more about them at applelatin.com. Well, I hope you've got your pencils sharpened your calendars out. This could be your week for taking action for sustainability. Uh, Coming up on Tuesday, September 27th, it's the Parkland Library groundbreaking. So excited about investments in our local historic libraries. This is taking place on Tuesday at 1.30 p.m. at 2743 Virginia Avenue. Louisville Free Public Library will be breaking ground on the much-anticipated Parkland Library renovation and expansion project on Tuesday, as you may have heard me announce on a previous program, but they are moving it back just a little earlier in the day than a little later in the day than originally announced. Please join them at 1.30 p.m. at 2743 Virginia Avenue as we move one step closer to restoring library services to the historic Carnegie Built facility. More information is at lfpl.org. Also on Tuesday in the evening at 6 p.m., there's going to be a virtual event that you won't want to miss. It's a conversation with author Clint Smith on reckoning with the history of slavery. It's at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday. You can join Louisville Urban League President and CEO Sadiqa Reynolds as she hosts this conversation with New York Times bestselling author Clint Smith about his most recent book, How the Word is Passed, A Reckoning with the History of Slavery Across America. This is a one-time only virtual event that will not be streamed or recorded. It's free, but you'll need to register, and you can do so at tinyurl.com slash howtheword, all spelled out, tinyurl.com slash howtheword, to hear from the author of How the Word Was Passed, uh, reckoning, How the Word Is Passed, reckoning with history of slavery across America with the Urban League and the Filson Historical Society. Now, coming up on Wednesday, the 28th at 7 p.m. in the evening, it's an online real forum on renewable energy solutions currently working in Cincinnati. The Renewable Energy Alliance of Louisville presents Real Good News, the eighth in a series of quarterly public virtual meetings to make sure Louisville implements its renewable energy goals. The purpose of this meeting is to learn about what other cities are doing to reach those same goals. 
the keynote speaker will be Rob McCracken from Cincinnati's Office of Environment and Sustainability. You can find more information and the link to register at renewableenergylouisville.org. And it's again Wednesday the 28th, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. online, renewableenergylouisville.org. Now, coming up next weekend on Saturday, October 1st, it is the Louisville Solar Tour and Electric Vehicle Experience. The tour will begin at 9.30 a.m. at Sullivan University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences building at 2100 Gardner Lane. The Kentucky Solar Energy Society is thrilled to be back with the in-person 2022 Louisville Solar Tour on October 1st. The tour begins at 9.30 at Sullivan University there at 2100 Gardner Lane. If you're thinking of going solar, adding battery storage to your home, buying an electric vehicle, or installing a home car charger, then we have an outstanding experience plan that will help you make all of the right decisions. Nothing beats talking to those homeowners who have already made the move and will give you unbiased and honest answers on how the process went and the tips and tricks they picked on the way. But wait, that's not all. <laughs> the Kentucky Solar Energy Society has partnered with Evolve Kentucky, the state's premier electric vehicle nonprofit and advocacy group to provide chauffeured rides in all the latest EVs to the carefully selected solar show homes. The day will start with a 75-minute public meeting at the Sullivan University Auditorium with an opening address by Louisville mayoral candidate Greg Craig Greenberg uh, talking about his vision and strategy for environmental progress in our city. Subsequent sessions will feature updates on this year's highly successful Solar Over Louisville Community Solar Campaign, a solar and battery storage 101 briefing, updates on the important local and national developments that impact your solar future, and an Ask the Installer Q&A session where you can uh, pitch in with all of your tough or unanswered questions about solar. After after that, we'll visit several solar-powered homes around town. You can learn more and sign up for free at nationalsolartour.org. This is one of many sites around the nation that's doing solar tours on Saturday, October 1st. Again, nationalsolartour.org is the place to learn more and sign up. But the tour begins, again, 9.30 a.m. at Sullivan University there at 2100 Gardner Lane on Saturday. Now, also Saturday, uh, starting at 9 a.m., it's a Chickasaw Outdoor Volunteer Day on October 1st from 9 to 11.30 a.m starting at the Chickasaw Park Pavilion across from the basketball courts there at 1200 Southwestern Parkway. Our beloved Chickasaw Park needs a little TLC, and we need you to come out and be part of the restoration of Chickasaw Park. We will pick up litter and small debris while learning about the upcoming park improvements in store for 2023. Uh, so come on out this Saturday, 9 a.m., October 1st, at the Chickasaw Park Pavilion. Now, also Saturday, October 1st, it is the annual Environmental Justice Conference being put on by the West Jefferson County Community Task Force and the NAACP. It's their annual Environmental Justice Conference this year on people, principles, priorities, and policy making. Four P's for you. It runs from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. online. It is virtual this year on Saturday, October 1st. 
the West Jefferson County Community Task Force and the NAACP Annual Environmental Justice Conference is back as a virtual event hosted by the UofL Christy Lee Brown Envirome Institute. The public is invited to learn more and get engaged in the struggle for environmental justice in Louisville. Uh, and your own host here, me, Justin Mogg, I'll be speaking at this year's conference on greener living for a greener Louisville, so don't miss out. Find more information and the link to register for this virtual event on Saturday at facebook.com slash WJCCTF. And again, that's the West Jefferson County Community Task Force. Go to facebook.com slash WJCCTF. Or more information is also on their website, wjcctf.com. And finally, I want to let you know that coming up on Monday, October 3rd at 5 p.m., there's another wonderful virtual event that you can participate in. Thanks to the Community Farm Alliance, they'll be presenting on Farm Bill Basics. Yes, there is a new farm bill in the works. You can join CFA staff Kimmy Ishmael and Lori White for an overview of this enormous and influential piece of legislation. You'll write you'll learn who writes the farm bill and how it will affect you and what is in the farm bill and what isn't this year and how your voice can be heard in the whole process. You can find the link to register and more information at facebook.com slash community farm alliance. And just a quick reminder that now is the time to register for the upcoming Louisville Sustainability Summit. It's on Thursday, October 6th, 1 to 4 p.m., and it's a virtual event again this year. You can learn more and get tickets at louisvillesustainabilitycouncil.org. You can learn about all the fantastic speakers and panels. There's going to be a panel, as you heard on this program recently, about uh, From Innovation to Innovative, the business case for a sustainable future, and another panel on From Vision to visionary the artist's vision for a sustainable future it's a bunch of great speakers three-hour virtual event on thursday afternoon october 6th and there are uh free or discounted tickets for students or people who cannot afford the ticket price they really don't want the ticket price to be a barrier so learn more and get your tickets now at louisville sustainability council.org and that is all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. It's been great to have you along for the ride, and I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well.